Lord, we lift up uh, our time to you today, that you would open our hearts, that you would uh, excite our minds, that we would be open to your teaching and then have the power and the courage to fulfill what you've commanded us to do, that we might enjoy the fullness of what you have in our life, sometimes by doing the things that we don't want to do, so that we could please you and enjoy what you have for our life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read you, uh, I read a commentary this, this week, and it was the cultural context of First Peter. And when I read it, I thought, wow, this is good. Here's, what, here's the audience Peter was writing. When the Apostle Peter wrote his uh, first letter, times were troubling. Political upheaval, uh, moral digression, philosophical and religious confusion, government corruption, rising taxation, economic burdens, the lowering of value, the lowering of the value of human life. And for Christians, the cloud of persecution was gathering. Christians were misunderstood and mistreated and maligned and rejected even by family members. They were singled out by employers, and some of them were even experiencing an imprisonment, abuse, and even death. In addition to that, they were living under the reign of an emperor who was growing increasingly insane. I don't know how we're going to be able to relate this book to our times. It just seems like it's so far away from our own experience, right? I'm going to try to teach this in a way to make it apply for today. We'll see what happens. Peter's telling us this. Beloved children of God, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, this is not your home. It's not supposed to make sense. Become men and women of, of, of consequence. Make Yahweh famous. Make Yahweh famous. When you're on call, ready to do his will, all that in the context of living in a hostile world. That's what Peter's talking about. Now he's getting into the actual application of how you should then live your life. And he starts with one of the most difficult parts in his experience, and maybe ours as well. He talks about submitting to the government. So here we are. Let's talk about religion and politics this morning. We get like a drunk uncle in here to stir things up. It'll be just like Thanksgiving. It'll be awesome, right? Yeah, that's what's happening today. So here's, I'm going to kind of ramp up with, with some passages that precede the one, and then we'll start with uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and through 17, which is our passage of study. He said, beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the final judgment. Now, here's our passage. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it be the emperor or uh, who is as the supreme or, or to the governors that, that as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance and foolish people. Live as people who are free, using your freedom or I'm sorry, not using your freedom to, as a cover-up for evil, but rather living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So that's the passage today. And when you read that, it might be jolted thinking, how are we supposed to do that? Have you looked at our government? Many of the people involved in leadership and running our country, you say, 
their, their beliefs are unbelievable. Their, their lives, their personal lives are shameful. Their policies, these days, it looks like it's a, a game of Wreck-It Ralph. How can we destroy a civilization as fast as possible? How are we supposed to do this? Here's what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to be the emperor as the supreme. It's for the Lord's sake. We do it for the Lord's sake. We do it for him. We submit to authority and the government because we're doing what we're told. It's an act of obedience. He told us we're doing it. Which authority? Those that we agree with, those that we voted for, those who we, we would like to be friends with. As long as they don't make fun of us or call us names, we, could, we have to submit to them. That's not what it says. All authority, whether it's to be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. <laughs> You're thinking, Peter, do you know what? Like, you look what we live with here. Have you seen the last decade or so? This is the way we live our lives. How are we supposed to submit ourselves to these men and women if, if he knew the way we were living, and he'd say, you know what, I don't. I, I can't fully comprehend the modern 21st century American Austin experience, but he would say, here's my experience. Here's like my family heritage. Let's just go like three Caesars, three emperors, and, and tell you how we rolled up to where we are. First, there was uh, Caligula. Okay, Caligula, you wouldn't leave your cat with Caligula. As emperor, he was Crazy. Like one of, the, one of the first things he did as emperor is he killed his mother and his brother because they, you know, they might be a threat to him. What about his sisters? Oh, he kept them around. He's, his three sisters, he openly was involved in an incestuous relationship with them. He was, <laughs> he was power hungry, crazy, so much so that he appointed his horse to be one of the senators. And then, and then promoted him to be on his council, on the consul. And I, and I read this a couple weeks ago. I went, he put a horse in the Senate. That is ridiculous. It was the most idiotic idea ever. And then I was thinking of some of our senators, and I thought, you know what? You know, I mean, a golden retriever could probably do better, right? So maybe, anyway, he, he had all the statues um, of, the sa- of, of the gods, t- with their he-, he took the heads off of the statues of the gods and put his bust on them. <laughs> he was the only god to rule Rome. His, that actually sounds close to some things going on too. So anyway, Claudius took over from him, and Claudius was just as cruel. Wasn't there long? He, the, there was a transition to who Peter is writing about at this time. The emperor is Nero. And Nero, when Nero was handed over the throne, well, and by handed over, the way it worked back then, Nero became the emperor because Nero's mother killed Claudius while he was sleeping. And so I guess you would call that a peaceful transition of power. Claudius never had a problem. It was very quiet for him. Nero was the worst of the three of Peter's experience. He was the most cruel, most sadistic, and wanted to kill all the Christians. It is that context, that's Peter's experience when he says this, submit to every human authority, honor the emperor. That's his story. And why? 
Why would we do that? Because God says so, but also the point of, the point of government. He says in 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That is the purpose of government. It is to civilize the wild souls of collective humans. From the moment that Noah gets off the ark, this is when government is, is given to us by God. And he says, you are given this power and authority for a purpose, and you will be held accountable for that power and that purpose. The, the purpose is to punish evil and to reward good. And, you, you, and you'll, you're going to answer to that. Your use and abuse of power, and if you're under authority, your ability to submit to authority and your, or, or rebel against it. That's, and for me personally, in, you know, I guess, what you call it, uh, compartments of faith, for me, this is the one that's the most difficult. This, this value of submitting to government authority is the place in my faith life that I have the most evidence that I don't believe this is true. Let me show you. This, let's, let's talk about faith. What's the definition of faith? It's when you're, when you're living like you're certain of things that you hope for. It's when you're convinced and you live like you're convinced of things that you can't see, right? That's what faith means. So in salvation, it's probably true for you, but for me, well, these are truths, but the way you respond to those, in salvation, God says that I have the righteousness of Jesus. I don't, I don't see that, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I believe that completely or not because it's true based on the promise of God. God said, I have the righteousness of Jesus. So I do. <laughs> I have the honor of the king. I don't feel like I'm all that honorable. God says, don't care. <laughs> I don't care how you feel. You're, the facts aren't influenced by your feelings here. It's a promise of God that I have the honor of Jesus, and that's why I have it. So I believe, all of my beliefs are built on, the, on faith in the promises of God, and even one more back, on the character of God fulfilling the promises that he made. Honestly, if you look at the Bible, it is the story of God making promises and God being a promise keeper. That's the definition of faith. I know what his promises are. He, is he going to do it? Yes, he is, and so that's where my faith is. Now... Because of that in salvation, I should rest and be at peace and not doubt whether or not God loves me or likes me or not. Boom. That's what faith-filled living looks like in salvation. But when it comes to submission to authority, this is where I personally get very riled up. God promises this, that every position of authority will answer directly to him for the use and the abuse of that authority. People in government, teachers, police, parents, marriage, every expression of authority is a gift from God and we, and we, we do good with that. We use that authority to serve others and glorify God or we abuse that and use that power to get what we want and we answer for that. In the context of authority, if we're under authority, we'll, we, we will answer to God whether we submit or rebel. And I have, the, I, that's a promise, and I have to have faith in that promise. And so uh, an accurate reflection of faith in that promise would mean 
my, my soul, we should have like a deeply soul and re, soul deep respect for authority in our life when we have authority and towards people with authority. Because if we choose to use the authority that we're given, whatever that might be, and we're going to use that to bully people and, and, and manipulate and connive and get what we want out of it because we can, nobody, we're not, we're not going to get away with it. There's no one getting away with the, with the abuse of authority or the appropriate use of authority. So, again, this is me. When I look at, at people in power, whether it's, you know, in a political office or in the media, and they're using that authority, and they're, like, they're, just, they're getting rich because they can, and they're making things work for their own personal gain. And then when I watch them live quiet, peaceful lives, undeterred by the laws that everyone else has to live by, and they die quietly, peacefully, on a private island, it, my soul burns because I don't have faith. I don't have faith in this promise that they're going to answer for every one of those decisions. It, what I should be, I should be the, in my salvation faith. I am I'm at rest in peace and I'm calm. When it comes to authority figures, I should say I'm going to be at rest and be calm because I know there's a day coming. I had a friend kind of like bring this up. He said, you know, if you really believe that, wouldn't you actually have pity towards them? And I thought, oh, I would. Every time they step up to the microphone or pass some sort of thing or underhanded deal, I'm just like, oh, you've got to, like, you know you're going to have to, you're going to hear about that later. I'm going to on judgment day. I'm going to turn and look away because this is going to be ugly. <laughs> so, so here's the, the, that's what it means to live by faith in the promise, in the promise keeper that it's all gonna be okay. I can relax. I just need to do what I am told to do. So in the context of authority, man, when, I'm, when you're in a place of authority, when you're a judge or a teacher or a police officer or a mother or a father, and you use that to serve, and you use that to civilize, and you're projecting, you know, the making God famous in that, you'll be blessed. The whole world will be blessed. And when you're under authority, and you show that by submitting and showing honor, Beautiful things happen when we use authority appropriately and we submit to authority, and then, and then, and then the next verse. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We just put to silence people. They're ignorant and don't know the sovereignty of God can even use corrupt governments to get his will done. Now, let me just say, you know, because I'm sure you might be thinking this, is, are there exceptions? There are absolutely exceptions. You, yeah, right. We're never going to disobey the, the obvious commands of God to submit to authority. So, you know, here we're going we're gonna to teach that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And not only that, but it's like by grace alone. And if the government says you can't do that, we'll say... We will, and then we'll see what happens. We're, we're not going to deviate from teaching that every human life has value in the eyes of God, the sanctity of life. We'll talk about this. We'll teach on the sanctity of marriage. And if the government says you can't do that, we will respectfully do it anyway, and we'll pay the fines, and we'll go to jail if we have to. It won't be the first time one of our elders has been sent to jail for holding some of these values. We'll do what we have to. 
Now, it gets especially complicated if you live in Austin. I mean that. So, so many people are new to Austin, even if you're from Texas in Dallas or something. Austin, Austin is a very crazy, we're weird, right? Keep Austin weird. Sometimes that means submitting to authority is complicated and difficult. Because, like, I've lived here 40 years. And in the, like, decades ago, about every five years, the state government has to come in and just kind of pop the chain of the local government here in Austin because we pass laws that are dumb, so dumb that the state has to say, can't do that. And, and so that was, again, decades ago, every five years, the state would come in and save the city from itself. In the last two or three years, it's been every, every month Someone comes in. So during this experience, this COVID experience, we're trying to submit to the authority. And it, like the city, the city says, you can't do that. And we just kind of wait. And then the governor comes and says, no, you can do that. Okay, okay, okay. And then the city says, you have to do this. And then we wait and like, no, you don't have to do that. So I'm, what I'm, I'm just acknowledging that uh, living in Austin, if you're new, it's like, a kid with two parents with two different, completely different set of standards. And you just, we have to submit to the authority, whatever that means. Here's the big difference in the cultures between when Peter writes and when, what we're experiencing now. Peter's audience had very limited ability to influence the government that they had to submit to. And in some respects, it made it a little bit easier because they just did what they could do. And that was just submit. But we... In a, in a national republic, constitutional republic, we have the power to influence change. And so we have a responsibility to be involved in that change. We can get involved. We can speak out against evil. And actually, you can do that even in, in Peter's time. That's John the Baptist. And he was willing to pay the price. And he paid, didn't he? We can get involved in, in peaceful protesting to make our values known that we're against something that's going on. We can put something up for election, right, for, for some kind of a, a vote. We can put stuff on a ballot. We can recall someone that we think is doing harm to our culture and our society. But, we can, but the bigger point is, is we can get involved in the political process, and we should. And some men and women are actually called to that. They are called to get involved. Sometimes like in a party, but sometimes actually as a candidate. And may God bless you to do that. If you get involved in the politics of, of, of America, let's, let's help you as much as we can. But here's the thing. Anybody that has a calling or a passion, it's not politics, every calling and every passion, you have to, you have to make sure you get priorities in order. So it's, let me just use it's easy to make a good thing an ultimate thing, and it's easy to make a passion or a calling your identity. Simple. Watch these other examples. Uh, athletes. So you can see a person that is an extreme athlete, and, you, and they, they would be a Christian that's an athlete, but they're a Christian first that happens to be an athlete. Then you can see guys and gals that are athletes that just happen to be a Christian. And so if there's ever a conflict, they're going to choose where their identity is. Sometimes if the, everyone on the team has to do this and he's an athlete first, then he's going to do it. If he's a Christian first, then he's an athlete. He says, well, I can't do that. So I guess I won't be an athlete. Their identity is not lost because their identity was Christ. If their identity was an athlete, they'll put Jesus over here and ask for forgiveness later. Right? I mean, and culturally uh, or ethnically or whatever, uh, like I'm Irish 
And if I'm Irish first and Catholic and Irish, Irish Catholic, if I'm Irish first and Christian second, I'm going to side for things that are part of my family heritage. If I'm a Christian first and Irish second, I'm willing to give and take. So all of that is leading up to in politics, if you're involved in politics, if you're going to run for office, if we're going to support someone that's running for office, you have to be a Christian first that happens to be involved in politics. Because if you're involved in politics first, that whole business is about compromising. And you have to, if you're a Christian first, you're going to, here's how to test. Here's how to test and see. Can you be critical towards the party that you're involved in or towards the candidate you're trying to help? Because if a Christian athlete is first a Christian, they can be critical towards their sport or towards the people involved in it because they have objectivity. I can be that way with my own heritage if I'm a Christian first. If you're a Christian first in politics, you can walk away. You can walk away. If it's your identity, you'll stay, you'll sacrifice too much. You know, the road to hell, it's gradual. It's a very, you know, vague slope. So you have to be a Christian first. And if you are, may God bless you. St. Augustine said this, a Christian in government is a blessing bestowed to all mankind. Because getting involved in government, being involved in political change is a way of loving your neighbor because you're trying to civilize it. But to be clear, we talk about, you know, tribes. When it comes to tribes, we're not a tribe of elephants, not in the tribe of the donkey. We're in the tribe of the lion, the king of kings. That's who we serve, and we don't deviate from that. So back to the passage. Talked about submission to the government for all people in authority, but all uh, positions of authority. And then he goes to verse 17. And what we're going to see here is a a pattern of New Testament writers where they start banging out lists. And he's going to have four commands. They're in couplets. And and they're fundamentally a review of what Jesus has said. The first two are going to be talking about how to love your neighbor. The second two are going to be talking about render under Caesar, what belongs to Caesar, render under God, what belongs to God. Now, with that in mind, let's look at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love your neighbor. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's look at the first couple here. It's like honor everyone. Love your neighbor. Honor everyone. Everyone. Everyone gets honor because every human soul is in the image of Yahweh. And by being human, they deserve honor. They are worthy of honor. And listen, when, if, you look at, if you look at the history of the church, when everyone is honored without prejudice or discretion, when the church does this, it makes God famous. And not only that, it civilizes right, the rage and rebellion of the human collection. It's a beautiful thing. When the church doesn't love everyone, when they are like selective in who they get, God is shamed and the people that are left out, they're embittered. It doesn't go well. Everyone is honored, honor everyone. Every single one, every man, every woman is to be honored. If you wear masks, to be honored. If you don't wear masks, be honored. If you're gonna get vaccinated, be honored. If you're not gonna be vaccinated, be honored. If you're like, Whatever culture, whatever color, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in God's sight. We're all his kids, everyone. Everyone is honored. Longhorns are honored. 
Baylor Bears, they're honored. Everyone, expecting something, huh? Huh? Everyone, everyone is honored. When the church of Jesus Christ honors everyone and fights for the justice for everyone, all of creation worship, that's the point. There's a good book, it's, it's 600 pages, be careful, but it's by Dr. Wayne Grudem. If you've been to seminary or studied theology, you've studied Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology uh, book. It's a beautiful uh, piece of, of literature. He wrote one on politics. This is what it is, politics according to the Bible, a comprehensive resource for understanding modern political issues in light of scripture. Beautiful work. In, in that work, he does a survey of the church's influence in the East and the West, as he displays what happens in cultures when people take charge, whatever they're part of, they don't honor everyone, that other group, life is cheap. If you're on the outside, if you look at human history, life, that group, that life is expendable. When the Christian group comes in and they honor everyone, everyone is blessed. I want to just survey quickly some of the influences of Christianity over over humanity honoring all people. Look what it says. Uh, Outlawing of infanticide, child abandonment, abortion in the Roman Empire. This is disgusting. In the Roman Empire, uh, gender reveal day, boo, it's a girl. They're holding it. They didn't want a girl. They would just go place these babies on a rock, and then the wild dogs would come and devour them. The Christian church invented adoption agencies because they would get to those children before the dogs did, and then they did things in politics to make that illegal. Child abandonment, infanticide, and abortions. They, let me continue. They outlawed the brutal, uh, the brutal battles to death of the, of the gladiators. They outlawed the punishment of branding the faces of criminals. They did prison reform. It included segregating male and female prisoners. If you can imagine an males and females living together, and that does not do well for the weaker of the two. They changed that. Christians changed the practice of human sacrifice among the Irish and the Prussians. We are a crazy people. Uh, Argued eventually uh, to outlaw pedophilia. Christians were the primary reason behind the granting of property rights and protections for women. They prohibited the burning alive of widows in India, which is a cultural and religious expression. Christians enter the room, and they love and honor all people. This is what happens. Probably a lot of you know the name William Wilberforce. He was involved in, in, the, in the politics of England, and what he had so... It was, it was this slow-plotting, like, turtle that got things done over time. And one of the ways that he did that is he met weekly with other men and women of great Christian faith, of wealth, and had power. And those men and women knew that that was granted to them by God, and they had a responsibility with it. They knew they could help bring honor to all people. And Wilberforce and his weekly meeting with his people were mocked and called the saints. And he and his friends said, fine, call us saints. We don't care. And they they promoted and instituted various societies for goodness, for the glory of God. The Society for the uh, Education of Africans, that they, well, I'm sorry, they ended slave trade in 1840 throughout Great Britain and then said, let's start a society for educating these Africans. 
Then the Society for, for Bettering the Conditions for the Poor. They had a society for the re- relief of debtors. In those days, if you were in extreme debt or mild, even mild debt, you went to prison for that. But you couldn't do anything about paying the debt back. And so they, they started laws so that they freed these people that were in debt, 14,000 over five years, that let them get jobs and they paid their debts back. It sounds reasonable, but it wasn't until they came along. They established hospitals for the poor and the blind. They, they helped uh, war widows and veterans that needed medical and psychological help. That's what happens when God-fearing Christians understand our place in the culture and society. We can change the culture and society. Here's a concluding uh, paragraph from Wayne Groom in his book. The mission of individuals within the church is to accept their post. They're on call, right? Every believer's a minister. Where God has placed them to bring their Christian character and their conscience to biblical convictions and biblical convictions to bear upon the world of education, the world of medicine, of science, of law, of government. That's what it looks like. Honor everyone. The next command says, honor everyone, love the brethren. Love your brothers and sisters. (laughs) We're family. The fourth time he said it, so it must be an issue. We need to love each other unconditionally. There's a you maybe you heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. It's actually, it might be a mis, misremembering of a better proverb that says, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which means something completely different, right? The blood of the covenant that we have amongst ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, that's the blood covenant. That's thicker then maybe the depth of the relationship and the commitment and everything else that we have with our own family, the water of the womb. We, our family, my brothers and sisters, is for eternity. Love each other. <laughs> Love each other. Honor God by loving each other. Honor all men. Love each other. Now verse 17, the rest of it. Fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God and honor the emperor. Look, look what it says everybody gets. Fear God. He deserves that. Honor the emperor. He has that title. Do not fear the emperor. You fear God. Just honor the emperor. And I think he puts honor the emperor at the end because that's the jagged pill we have to swallow. But look, if you take fear away from the government, if you take fear away from authority, in this case, if you take fear away from Nero, he has nothing. Fear and anger is what this culture ran on, and Christianity defeated it by fearing God first and only. Look what another scholar wrote. The victory of the church over the corrupt Roman power did not come by seizing the levers of power. It was when when the victims knelt down in the Colosseums and prayed in the name of Jesus for the emperor. Now, in doing so, the entire mystique of the empire, its spiritual power over the people, was unmasked, disarmed, rendered powerless. (laughs) The beloved by God. Exiles, foreigners. Don't give in to the fear and the anger of our culture. That's the fuel the whole machine runs on. You fear God and trust in his promises of ultimate judgment, 
They have no power. And now we can live in community, honoring other people. <laughs> hey, this passage does apply to us today, right? Seems like. There's a beautiful story from a ministry, uh, mission organization called Open Doors Ministry. It tells a story about how in 1990, mid-90s, in the Wuhan province of China, that would be like a, a large state in China, it was particularly uh, attacked by the opium ep epidemic that we're seeing around the world, but particularly there. And it was devastating the small little towns because so much opium was infecting so many people's lives and their addiction was causing them to give up on any kind of, ambitious of ambitions of having a career. They just did their drugs, so they ran out of money. So then the lawlessness starts. They're stealing and robbing from one another. Uh, now they're becoming, they're losing their lives because of their addiction. And it was so pervasive that China realized they, the government, the atheistic China of government said, we have to do something about this. So they investigated and they found in the, in the context of this state, there were a couple little communities that were healthy, extremely healthy. And so they went into those and they investigated. They said, well, what's different about these? And it turned out that there was a percentage of people that were different and it was infecting and influencing their entire community. What'd they have in common? Jesus Christ. And they wanted to honor all people, and they wanted to love their brothers, and they wanted to submit to authority. And so in 1998, because they, China was so desperate, they said, we're going to try this radical experiment. We're going we're to go to the worst village. There are 240 people. 107 are opium addicts unto death. And we're going to bust in these Christians. They said, we'd be happy to do it. They'd bust in the Christians, and in this, in this community, they would require everyone to attend this Christian meeting where the, the Chinese Christians would give their testimony about what God had done in their life, how maybe they were addicted to opium, but aren't anymore. The power of the resurrection that lives in their, in their souls now and the gift of salvation that came. <laughs> this is Celebrate Recovery, okay? <laughs> the Chinese invent this. They bring it into this, in this community that was the worst village uh, with this epidemic of, of opium. And in one year, there were 17 new Christians and because of those 17 Christians, it, they, it, they sincerely believed and had faith in the promises of God. And so they, they started recovering in their addiction. Then they started getting back into the industry of their life and understood why God made them. Uh, a couple of them bought sewing machines and, and started small businesses. Civilization started coming back to this little village. In 2002, there were 83 Christians. It had completely transformed the whole village at this point. There were, there were enough to infect the entire village with Christendom. What happened was the gospel has the power of change in a culture. It changed, it changed a, a culture in a, in a village known for its opium, and now it's known for its prosperity. Lawbreakers into civilized human beings. Families were restored. How does that happen? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, submit to all authority. Just, just obey. Honor everyone. Love your brothers and sisters. You fear Yahweh. And then give honor to the emperor. And I love this. And for this is the will of God. By doing so, it silences the ignorant and the foolish people. Can we do that by faith? 
let, let the God things be God things, and let's just do what we can do. What a church we could become. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for that. Lord, I, uh, I admit, I, this, is, this is such a against my soul to just submit to authority that I don't respect or maybe don't believe that they're going in the right direction. I am a rebel. I'm a rebel from Adam, and I'm, par- I'm an American that rebelled against a queen. I am a Texan that re- doesn't even like being part of the country. I'm an Austinite that doesn't even like being part of Texas. And in 2,000 denominations to pick, we, we're going to start our own because that's what we're cowboys. And I, 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 I acknowledge the rebellion in my heart and, and looking for opportunities to find a way not to submit to authority. And that's a sin, grievous sin. So, Lord, I'd ask that you would help me, help us, Learn to be under authority. Learn to enjoy trusting in your final judgment and leaving that to you, your time, your place. God, I'd ask that we would be a church that gets to play a part in influencing a culture by jumping in and and honoring all humans and loving our brothers and sisters, fearing you and you alone. God, let us be a church like that. Let us express that in our enjoyment of one another, especially when we have different views, different perspectives, different values. We have the same king. We're the tribe of the lion. Help us be that. Let us make you famous. And all God's people said, huh? louder than that. And all God's people said, there it is. Let's stand and sing.